the boldness that we have to have is we declare the good news of the Lord. Uh, I want to uh, not drop any more microphones. So we're going to be, I want to remind everybody of this, or if you know about it, great. if you don't know about it. Um, so the, the Ethiopian church meets here. Uh, Pastor Caleb and, and his uh, crew are putting on a conference here next weekend. So uh, the, the, the 21st and the 22nd starts at, uh, it's, it starts at 5 p.m. both Saturday and Sunday. Um, and they're bringing in, it's, like Pastor Caleb's going to be there and their whole team, but they're also bringing in a couple of guests. They've got uh, a pa uh, pastor, uh, I'm not going to pronounce their names properly, but with Zerahun Legassi uh, from Washington, D.C. He's a, he he uh, does uh, healing prayer, so uh, that would be uh, really excited to see that. And then also um, from the United States as well, Zamari, uh, sorry, Zamari, Temesgen Marcos, and, uh, and he's a, an amazing singer, and if you've ever been to the uh, Ethiopian church, they, they they do some singing, and uh, which is something they have in common with us, so uh, I'm excited about that, I'm going to be there on Sunday night next week, I have something else going on Saturday, unfortunately I can't make it, but um, but please, that's here, it's free, uh, please come and uh, check that out if you're interested. So, we're going to, we're still talking about the life of David, we're talking about, um, the transformation that happens when people are encounter the life of God and how and how God works about that transformation in the lives of people. And we see at this point in David li David's life we're we're, uh, we're talking about family. So last week we discussed leadership and we talked about the point in uh, I'll get back to that in a second. The point where we are in David's life, where uh, David has has grown up uh, both as, uh, as, a, as an apprentice to his father, as a shepherd, but also in the kingdom of Saul. He had his, his moment where he had his fight with Goliath, and then he kind of becomes this celebrity in the kingdom. He's a mighty warrior. He's doing all of these things under the auspices of Saul's kingdom. And, and at this point where we, where we follow David's life, uh, Saul has thrown him out of the kingdom. He's an outlaw in the wilderness. And we see this, and this is... Again, instrumental to my life in ministry, that, that, that we see that David, at the beginning of this wilderness time, that he escapes to the cave at Adullam, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there, and all those who were in distress, were in debt, and discontented gathered round him, and he became their commander, and about 400 men were with him. And what's interesting about this is that these 400 people who were in distress, in debt, and discontented, become transformed to become mighty people who work and save the kingdom. And it fascinates me as to how that happened. And, and, and we've looked at this, and we have been looking at this, that there's three things that they found in the cave that they found. Uh, and, and in the wilderness, they had a, found a leader to follow in David. They found family to belong to, and they found deeds to do. Last week, we talked about leadership and how all of our leadership is, is pointing to Jesus. And this week, we're going to be discussing family. And, and families to belong to, and, and, and how do they work in our in our transformation, and, and how does how can we be a better family of God that He's called us to do? Um, how can how can we live this life that He's called us to lead? And, and this is a I, I recognize that this can be a sensitive issue for some people that not that God has placed in our world and in our vernacular metaphors for his relationship to us and the relationships that we ought to have with each other. And one of the primary metaphors that God uses to, to show himself to us as God is Father. And then he tells us to relate to each other as family. Then I recognize that for some people in this room, the idea of God as Father is foreign. 
The idea of God as Father is not a, a positive or a helpful image. So one of the things that we're going to ask for over the next little while is that God begin to heal that within you. And I also recognize that the concept of family can cause some people pain as well. That 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 family, rather than being a place of safety and comfort and, and protection and, and and joy, that family can become a place of, of fear and and, uh, and and something that you feel that you need to, to leave behind you. We want to heal that metaphor as well. So I recognize that not every family is perfect and not every family is good, but but we want, but we do believe that when family is done right, that it changes. Uh, the people of God. And and I call it this family because it's just the easiest thing to do. But part of me wanted to call it all y'all um, because the English language has uh, an unfortunate mistake in it that, uh, that, that the people of the southern United States have prepared for us and we should embrace all of them uh, and embrace this portion of what some snooty people would consider bad grammar. And that when we refer to you we refer, so if I'm referring to Teddy as an individual, I would use the word you, that really, that's an individual second person pronoun. But if I wanted to refer to all of you, I would also use the word you. And that's unfortunate, because there can be confusion as to whether or not we're talking about an individual or we're talking about the collective. Where the, in the southern United States, they've, they, they've taken this, and rather than just having you, they would call you, you all, right? Or y'all. So rather than just talking about you, we're talking about y'all. Y'all do something together, and e even better sometimes when, it, when when you're referring to the group and an activity of the group. I have some southern friends that would say, "All y'all, all y'all got to get some food here. All y'all got to got to get your stuff together. All y'all got to do this." And I think that it would be helpful for us if we began to use and think in the language of all y'all, because when God gives commands, often we interpret God's commands and His transformation individually. It's about me. It's about what I'm doing. And there's an element of truth to that. But most often, God has called us to live in community. And when he gives his commands, he's giving commands to all y'all. So all y'all got to get this together. And that's why all y'all, including me, need to be concerned about what it means to be the family of God. So where we're going to come to today is, is what we're going to focus on is this point here. That when his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And I've said in the past that, that they become a family worth belonging to, and we can see that they're a family worth belonging to, by the fact that, that David's brothers and his father's household were people that were living in the kingdom of Saul, a place of, a place of safety and comfort and stability, and they rejected that because their brother was an outlaw in the wilderness. And they said that it is more important for me to be with my brother than it is for me to be in safety and comfort. This is a group of people who chose uncertainty in the wilderness over the safety of the kingdom. And, and sometimes you might think, well, obviously they got along really well. That must have been an easy decision for them to make. But I don't believe that it was. We see in Scripture that, that David had a complicated relationship with his brothers. When David was anointed, he was anointed at, only after all of his other brothers had been rejected by the prophet Samuel for anointing his king. Only after Samuel had said, what about this one, what about this one, what about this one, what about this one? And only then David comes and gets the anointing that they were all lined up for. That's got to cause some issues between you and your brothers. And we see this manifesting uh, when David goes to fight Goliath. When David goes to fight Goliath, the whole reason that he's there is because his father sent him to bring some food to his brothers. And when we hear this, 
we have this encounter where in 1 Samuel 17, when Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned in anger at him and asked, Why have you come here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. So when, this was not an easy decision for them to make. The relationship between David and his brothers was complicated. And yet, and, 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 and yet, for whatever reasons that they had, for whatever complications they had, for whatever difficulties they had, when push came to shove, Eliab still said, I'm going to go to the wilderness to be with my brother. I'm going to choose to be with him rather than to stay here in, uh, in the safety of Saul's kingdom. And somehow, this allegiance, this tight ties his family becomes instrumental to the transformation of these 400 men that were in distress or in debt or in content, uh, discontented. Somehow, and we've seen this bear out not only in Scripture but in our own lives, somehow we need to see, uh, we become transformed when we see people around us who are loving one another as they ought. As we live amongst and are around people who love and care for each other and depend on each other as the best families do, we find ourselves, A, seeing what is possible, the way that families ought to behave, the way that families ought to interact. And when this is done right, and as we see here, we find ourselves welcomed into that circle of love and grace. This is incredibly important if we're going to be the kind of community that encourages transformation. We need to, one, love each other properly in a way that when people who are broken and wounded come in here, that they can see that this is, there's something different here. There's something different about the way that these people interact, and there's something different about the way these people interact and the families that I've grown up with and the families that I've walked with the rest of my life. We need to do that for other people, but we also need to have malleable borders in our families so that we can accept people in to our families as well. That we can be, that we can welcome them in and, and demonstrate to them the love and grace and dependence that we have for each other. And this sounds, as I say it, kind of kumbaya in my own mind. In my own mind, as I say this, this sounds like just a, a, a scoopful of hippie schmaltz laid on to the integral importance of the gospel, but I believe that these things are, 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 are integral to what God has called us to in his salvation and in the coming of his kingdom. And I, and I have some back for this when we, when we, uh, when we in Romans 12. Because in Romans 12, Paul says this, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in, in our serving, in the one, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see... Paul here saying that way, saying to his people in the book of Romans, he spent the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans declaring the salvation of God. And now as he gets to 12, he says, this is how it changes how you guys interact. And primarily, the way that it changes is the way that we are and exist as all y'all. That we have the, that, that, that though many, we are one body in Christ 
and individually members of one another. That we have a tie together that is greater than we could understand. That God is fashioning us into a new people. That's what Paul is saying. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us because that's the pattern that God does all throughout Scripture. In Genesis, God forms a people out where there were no people. He, he chooses Abraham. He says, your descendants will be as many as the sands in the mountain, uh, sorry, as the sands in the desert uh, and, and the stars in the sky. And when, when God calls the people of Israel, he says to them, you were not a nation and I made you a nation. That is what God does. He makes new families. He make new, makes new communities. Jesus calls disciples around him as he begins his ministry. He calls 12 and then, and then more come around them. And even in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes to his people, this results in thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem living a new and common life together, where they share all things, where they, where they live together in harmony, where they meet together regularly and share everything in a new common venture. And, and that's incredibly important to the life that we live in Jesus, that as we are saved, that we are saved not only to ourselves, but we are saved to a new community. And not only were we saved to a new community, we're saved for a new community. I grew up in a tradition for most of my life, and most of us did, that was incredibly focused on individual salvation. That we heard the verses of Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we were instructed that as if that were God knocking on the door of our own hearts. And there's an element of truth to that. But the context of that verse is Jesus standing on the outside door of the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice, I will open the door and will come in. It's communal. It's not about you. It's about all y'all. And this is incredibly important for us, that as we become saved, God calls us as individuals. Yes, there is a focus on individual salvation, that you as an individual, God knows the hairs on your head. He knows every, he, he has a hope and a, and a future for you. He has plans for you. But he calls you to live that life in the context of a community of people. The individual salvation is real and it happens, but that salvation connects us and is only consummated and fulfilled in sanctification, which, which happens within a group of people and for a group of people. So how is this transformational? How is just being around the people who love each other as Jesus called, to a, called them to, how is this actual, actually transformational? And I believe fundamentally being in this new family reminds us who we are and why we're here. This, this new body, declaring that we, are one, that we are one body in Christ, reminds us that I as an individual fit into a place with a larger collection of people. That I have important things that I bring to the table that God has given me, that, that, this, that this body cannot function without me doing what I've been called to do. That's who I am. And the reason why I'm here is for this kingdom to work properly the way God has called us to. God has, given you, God has given you gifts for all of our benefit. And in this place, there is joy in understanding our place and our value within the community. One of the things that's happened in North America over the last 50, 60 years, it's beginning to turn around. But there's been so much focus on the individual that, 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 that we've lost our connections to one another. And that in the increase of social media, we don't gather in places like, like this anymore. You can, there's many books on this. You can read, the uh, most famous one is probably Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. 
which just declares since the 1950s the, the increase of individualism, how we, we're not part of, uh, of organizations anymore, we're not, we're not part of, uh, of leagues and all of the, uh, these things that we used to be a part of, and, and we've lost that. And, and in our isolation, uh, we've increased our depression, we've increased our anxiety, we've increased our, our obesity, we've increased all of these sorts of unhealthy consequences. And he believes that one of the reasons why all of those things have increased is because we're not telling each other who we are and why we're here. We're disconnected from one another. And if we were, and if we had other people reminding us how much they need us, it would, it would uh, remind us of our own values. So, and and, and we see that that in this isolation, this isolation, uh, we we see the contrast of the of the 400 people who are in debt and discontented and in distress. Because within the context of that family, they did not only, they were not only that. They were not merely in debt and in distress and discontented, but now they were also members of a family that, that needed to contribute in order for the entire community to work. So how can we do this best? And I believe that we're going to find how we do this in the very next portion of Romans 12, which is where Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So just as last week, sorry, we talked about the Christian standards for, for leadership, we're going to talk about the Christian standards for family. And this first standard is that we let love be genuine. Our love cannot be a mask that we wear. And the power of family is that within the context of that family, we are not people who hide our issues from each other. We're not people who present the veneer of who we are in order to present, in order to protect each other and to protect ourselves. But in the context of family, we know who we are once and all. We know this within our family, and we're and, and, and good families are not people who have always had things perfect and presented these perfect lives, but good families are people who worked through difficult times and stayed with each other, not playing roles for one another, but finding within this structure safety and freedom to work through who God has called them to be. And this is something that is incredibly important. We need to give people freedom to to be, to be and become who God is making them. That over the course of this time, it's easy for us to fall into a place where we, where we, we operate in, in, in vague, vagueness and fakeness. That's not what God has called us to do. We need to let our love be genuine. So the first standard of Christian community is genuine and open, living and loving. That we are who we are completely who God, because God, this is who God has called us to be. And that we live our open lives, warts and all. We show our work and we demonstrate. Uh, and in the context of family, we have the safety to do that. Next thing we see is that we abhor what is evil and we hold fast to what is good. This is important as well, and I'm borrowing language from a book called uh, Creature of the Word by Matt Chandler and Eric Geiger. They say one of the, the things that's incredibly important in Christian communities is to form communities that are safe but not soft. Safe but not soft. And, and we see the first line is abhor what is evil. We need to reject evil in people's lives. And, and we, we're in an unfortunate place in this world where we've equated love with complete and total acceptance. That if I, if I 
and am to love you, then I have to accept everything about you. And there's an element of truth to that. There's an element where it's like, I do accept you and love you, warts and all. But, I, but, but true families and good families and God himself are not content to leave people as they are, but demand that they eliminate patterns of, of, of destructive behavior and habits that we call sin that, that keep them from God, that, that damage their relationships with each other, that damage their relationships with themselves. We, we don't allow that to exist. But we believe that, that sin kills that sin destroys us, it destroys us internally, it destroys our relationship with God, and it destroys the people uh, around us. So because sin kills, we are not going to allow it to exist in our communities. Now we can do this badly, and it has been done badly for, for a very long time, where people have abhorred evil. But in their efforts to abhor evil, they have not held fast to what is good, and, and they have not loved in a way that was genuine. So because we abhor evil, every one felt the need to cover themselves with some sort of mask and play a role as if everything isn't perfect in my life all the time and there are no struggles and therefore that is how we are going to abhor evil. And that's an incorrect way to do this. We have to figure out a way and a challenge, we have to, to figure out a way to, to abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good and create safe places for sinners. If we're going to be a family we're belonging to, we ought to be safe for sinners and not soft on sin. This is demonstrated by David and consistently demonstrated by Jesus that his arms are open for all those who are lost, but yet he is not content to leave them leave them in that place. There's a quote from the, the preacher of the word that I think is important. Um, where they said, gospel-centered community exists in the grace-filled tension of receiving sinners while simultaneously making war on sin. We're not always going to get that right, but that ought to be our intention, that we abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. In the same way, we love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. The, 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 the word in Greek here is Philadelphia, this brotherly love. That that, that that continues one another within us. And that whatever, the important thing is that in Jesus, we recognize that whatever divides us, be it age, be it economics, be it ethnicity, be it cultural background, whatever it is, that or language, whatever it is that divides us, we recognize that the Jesus that is within us connects us in a much greater way and makes us part of the same family. So that in the same way that my parents here and my children are, 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 are blood with me, that you all are blood with me as well. Not because of my blood or the genetic blood we share, but because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for all of us. That is the intention that we have. So we recognize that what is in us is greater than anything that divides us. And as a result of that, for all of us, for all y'all, your joys become my joys. That your sorrows become my sorrows. That your battles become my battles. Because that is what happens in families. We have each other's back. And we recognize that when someone does well, we all do well. When someone falls, we all fall. When someone is in a fight, we're all in a fight. Because that is the way that families work together. And we recognize the value in our brothers and sisters as well. 
that we do the hard work of seeing, of understanding that you bring something to the table that this community needs. You have a prophecy, you have a word, you have a service, you have a gift of mercy, you have something that God has given you that we need to be what God has called us to be. What you bring to the table matters and that is good. And that is how we accept one another, completely accept one another, that I value you just as you are. There's been a problem in Christianity as I've experienced it over my life that often someone converting to Christianity is a subtle way of saying you're actually converting to be like me. That in your coming to Jesus, my expectation is that you're going to come to dress the way I dress, that you're going to like the music that I like, that you're going to come to, to, to live your life like me and my family, and that is not what God has called us to. As you come to Jesus, you do not become more like me. You become more like you. You become more like what you have, God has created you to be. And if we're going to be the family that God has called us to be, then we need to make room for a lot of different yous. And that God has brought together these disparate yous to become an all y'all that changes and blesses the world. And we celebrate that together. So our standards for family, our third one, is that we recognize the value in our new brothers and sisters. That we recognize, first of all, that we are brothers and sisters. And just because you come from a different part of the world, or you speak a different language, or you have a different education level, or a different economic level, that, 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 that the blood that was shed for us makes us kin in, in ways that we do not understand, in ways that are deeper and more valuable even than the genetic relationships that we have around us. But it also recognizes that as you are my kin, you bring something to the table that is incredibly important. God has put valid gifts in you that bless the entire world. And, and, and my success is tied to your success. We need to do this and get it right. These are very and incredibly difficult standards. We do this okay some of the time. We do it badly some of the time. We shouldn't be afraid of that because families, not any of them are perfect. But what we strive for is that God is going to call us to this. Because I believe, just as we see here, that his brothers in his father's household heard about it and they went down to him there. When, when families gather in that way, or when we genuinely love one another, when we, when we expect the best of each other and demand the best of each other, but we also give grace and comfort each other when we fall, when we have each other's backs in the way that we've expected, the world of of, of in-debt, disconnected, and in-distressed people look at that and say, how can I find that too? They see it and they're desperate for it and they come into it and they find healing. This is why it's so incredibly important. As we expect transformation for ourselves and those for, uh, around us, as we expect people to move from selfishness to all altruism, from misfits to mighty, we also expect that we move from individuals to community, that all of our yous become all y'alls. And in that all y'all, we recognize that there is grace and hope and love, and that's what we've been called to. Let's pray together. God, we are an imperfect community. But we ask that as you save us individually, that you are also saving us as a community, as a family. And that we would be people who take that family commitment seriously. That we would love one another deeply and genuinely. That we would be courageous enough to show our work 
and in our courageousness to, to, to live with open lives and with open hearts, that we would find safety with brothers and sisters who love us, but that we would also abhor what is evil, that we would demand that, that our brothers and sisters live their best, because that is what we all need to do what you have called us to do. And we ask that, that you begin to move in us and make us your kingdom and make us your community. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.